Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hey, this is Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Today, my guest is an interesting gentleman by the name of Bruce Gerfine. Bruce took a fascinating road trip from Dubai all the way to Israel, stopping in Saudi Arabia along the way, Jordan on the way back, Bahrain, and again, Saudi Arabia. Really, really interesting. You get to learn about the region a lot. You get to learn about the logistics of taking such an unusual road trip. And also get to hear a little bit about the tourism side of these various countries. I hope that you enjoy this podcast. My name is Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Well, guys, I have a really interesting guest today. His name is Bruce Gerfine. Some of you may have read about him. I certainly did. Uh, He took a pretty interesting road trip, which we're going to get to uh, later in this podcast. Bruce is uh, currently living in Dubai, happens to be in Jerusalem today uh, as we speak. And uh, Bruce, say hello to my guests on Newsweek on The Diplomat. Hey, pleasure to meet you all. Thank you for joining us. And Bruce, let's, before we get to your really cool road trip, probably, I don't want to say the only person in the world who's done this, but perhaps, let's talk about you. You, you live in Dubai. Uh, when did you move there? What's your background? And how do you like it? Uh, so I, I've been living and working in Dubai on and off since 97. Um, uh, that was when I first arrived in Dubai as part of a team that was setting up a, an internet service provider. Back in the days, I just uh, left my position at uh, ICQ back then. Um, I've been building tech innovation, tech startups uh, over the years, both in the region, Israel, UAE, Saudi Arabia, and other countries uh, in the former Soviet Union, sort of connecting the the dots between uh, where innovation came from to where innovation was required, and enjoying and loving the different uh, atmospheres, different cultures that were available. I always found Dubai to be a welcoming place, for, especially for Jews, uh, even before the Abrahamic Accords. And uh, obviously, over the last two years, it's become so much easier to live there as a Jew. Um, and I felt at home and figured, why not? Let's stay in a place where we're welcoming and feels like home. So I love talking to people like you because I had a very unique experience in the White House, uh, experiencing the Middle East like I had never done before. And UAE, for sure, even before the Abraham Accords, as you say, was a welcoming place as a Jew. But I feel welcome and at home throughout the Middle East. And I think that's really a great segue to your road trip. You decided you're going to drive, I think with a friend, from Dubai all the way to Israel. What prompted you to do that? Well, um, as I said, I've been working in the region for so many years, and you always fly from point to point. And one of the disadvantages of flying is you only get to meet the few people that are sitting next to you on an airplane. And today, if you fly Emirates, you get to close the door and you don't even meet the guy sitting next to you. Uh, so driving really gives you that opportunity to, uh, it's, well, it's obviously long drives and you try and break it up. So you stop in little cities, walk around, see sites that you would have never seen if you were just going in and out for business, get to really talk to people on the street, uh, hear their opinions about some things, uh, 
throw out something that may be controversial just to get to reactions from people and really notice how loving the Middle East really is. Uh, if you step away from uh, you know the news that people hear, which obviously always broadcasts the interesting parts, nobody's going to tell anyone about a dog biting a human, but when you have a human biting a dog, then that's news. So same thing with, you know, not to blame uh, the news, but they're not going to tell people, oh, people were really nice to you in Yambu today, because that's that's not news. But when, you know, something goes wrong because of whatever reason, that's when the news is. Driving across really gets gives you the opportunity to meet people on a one-on-one, uh, break that myth that uh, Jews and Arabs hate each other, because uh, it's really not Jews and Arabs. It's human beings and human beings and human beings and human beings usually like each other. And that really gave me the opportunity. We were very public. I took a friend with me uh, from the Jewish community in Dubai, a, a Greek Jew who's been living in Dubai for many years. Uh, Joe Cohen is his name. Can't get more Jewish than that for a last name. Um, and well, we had to, in order to make it within a week to Israel, we had to drive for an average of eight hours a day a little too much for one person to do. So it was great to have another friend there with me. Um, but really, you know, we drove, we were public about the fact, both on Twitter and on uh, uh, the article, news, newspaper article saying we were Jews and we were driving from Dubai through Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Palestine to Israel. Um, so everyone knew where we were going. Everyone knew that we were promoting technologies related to agriculture and sustainability on this trip. And we were welcomed and everyone, you know, people were interested in more of what we had to offer and how could we make uh, lives better as opposed to where we were coming from, what our religion was, or where we were heading. Well, I'm glad you had company on the trip. Uh, I could attest to the long drive. Uh, yesterday, I did a drive from New Jersey to Baltimore. My son's a big Vikings fan, so he and I took a road trip about four hours each way. He doesn't drive yet. He's only 16. Actually, he drives, but he doesn't have his license yet. So I had to do the eight <laughs> hours, and I could do it for one day, maybe two days. I'm not sure I would want to do that long of a drive or a week is that that's how long it took from dubai to israel with stops or it was longer than that no no that that's what what it took with stops was uh, five days if we would have gone uh without stopping it probably would have been about 29 to 30 hours not including border crossings uh although border crossings were pretty pretty straightforward besides waiting online for a few minutes here and there uh, we didn't have any any major issues anywhere so let's talk logistics. Any unique logistics besides your passport, gasoline, and maybe some snack? Uh, well, you, you do need to uh, get a permit to drive uh, your car outside the UAE from the uh, Road Traffic Authority uh, because we're not uh, GCC citizens. Uh, so they want to make sure you're not stealing the car, you don't have a mortgage on it, etc. So that, that, that was the first logistic. Uh, you do buy uh, car insurance at every border crossing. Um, but you could buy it for 30 days and it could be multiple. So for example, Saudi Arabia, where we drove in, drove out, Jordan, where we drove in, drove out, we were able to buy a longer insurance uh, policy. Uh, you do need to plan the gas stations, uh, especially in Saudi, where the distances are vast. Uh, it, in certain parts of uh, the road, we, we almost ran out of gas because we didn't quite plan the distances properly. Um <clears throat> Also, uh, well, less and less of an issue, but in certain parts of the trip, credit cards are not quite common yet. So uh, cash would be a necessity uh, and you would need to have it in the local currencies. Uh, otherwise, uh, it's easier to prehab to have the visas ahead of time. But now, especially if you're European or American, uh, Saudi visas are available on arrival. Uh, Jordanian visas are available on arrival. Uh, don't try to cross through the Allenby Bridge. Uh, they don't allow non 
Jordanian or diplomatic uh, license plates through, so you won't be able to cross with a car. Uh, use one of the other two border crossings and uh, avoid uh, uh, misunderstandings and extensions. Um, that was about it. Most of the places we stayed were nice hotels. We did uh, in El Ula, which in, in my opinion is one of the nicest places in Saudi Arabia. It's sort of Petra on, uh, on steroids. Uh, we stayed in an Airbnb because the hotels were fully booked, which was something you sort of don't expect in the middle of the summer in Saudi. But then again, you also don't expect to have rain um, and fl- floods uh, or green and uh, vegetation throughout uh, what you think is a desert. And then you find out that it actually snows for a few, a few weeks uh, a year and there's a, a whole different thing that's not desert in Saudi Arabia. So just a note to my listeners about the gasoline tip. Take it seriously. I didn't do this drive, but I will tell you, I drove the road to Hana, I think it was in Maui, Hawaii, and I read the, you know, don't run out of gas, don't run out of gas, and I maybe thought I was smarter than the book. I didn't run out of gas, but only by luck. We literally probably reached the gas station on the return back to, let's call it civilization, probably at the last drop of gas. So <laughs> they mean it when they say don't run out of gas, so thank you for that that tip. Well, we, we, did, we did have that on the way back. We had driven uh, 615 kilometers from one gas station to another, and literally the car turned turned off as we pulled into the gas station. Uh, but in Saudi, there is a phone number you can call, uh, and the Saudi police will show up in the middle of the desert and bring you uh, gas. And uh, Saudi drivers are very nice. So people will pull over. They'll drive you to the gas station, help you pick some up and come back. Uh, if you have the extra few hours to sit around and wait in the middle of the Saudi desert, uh, that could be an experience. I personally wouldn't recommend going for it. <laughs> sure. No matter the, uh, the amazing hospitality that the Saudis show, it's experience that in a normal way, not, not being stuck yeah, yeah. in the desert running out of gas. Um, have, you, have some coffee and dates. Exactly. So, and we'll get to Alula in, in the itinerary because I was there and it is quite amazing. Uh, and I was in Petra. But where, where was your first stop when you left Dubai? Oh, well, we drove uh, from Dubai through Abu Dhabi. Um, and through that whole um, what, what's known as the uh, empty quarters in the desert, uh, parts of it are still are in the UAE and then Saudi Arabia, uh, and then we arrived in Riyadh. Um, Had you been we in went Riyadh to, before? I have. I've been going to Saudi for uh, nineteen years now, for mostly for work. So tell uh, my listeners the, the transformation of Riyadh since you've been there so for so many years. I myself have only first experienced Riyadh in twenty seventeen. I've seen remarkable transformation in terms of construction, in terms of what you can do, in terms of society and women driving. What's your take on what's happening in Riyadh? Well, um, so pre-COVID, uh, which was the last time I was in Riyadh uh, before before COVID, I remember walking down the mall and there was the modesty police uh, telling people to uh, fix their hair covering, dress properly, etc., and then October last year, I ran half a marathon in Riyadh, and we were running in mixed crowd, women in leggings, tights, no hair cover, uh, no hair covering. Um, and I even had an Uber, uh, a female Uber driver pick me up on one of my uh, business trips in Riyadh from the airport into the hotel, uh, who spoke perfect English, uh, did the whole touristy thing on the way. It wasn't like she was sitting there. She was actually fully covered, and she said she did that because she felt like it protected her privacy and it was she was happy to do that uh, but that was uh, um, her choice and then yet, yet again this would, would have never happened a couple of months ago uh, you have lots and lots of restaurants opening up 
there's uh, what's now at the moment, actually right now it's taking, it's taking the second time. It's called the Saudi Saudi Nights or Saudi Life, I think it is. And it's a uh, concert. Uh, and you, you come in and you see teenagers dancing, having a good time, going out to, for restaurants uh, and nightlife. And it's sort of, I, I sort of tell myself sometimes when I go to Saudi, it's, 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 it's a proof that you can actually have a good time and really enjoy life without drinking alcohol. Um, which I find to be pleasant and nice, but uh, Saudi's changing. At the same time, uh, not all of Saudi's changing. So Saudi's changing in terms of forcing it, in terms of the, the westernization, but you do find a lot of people in Saudi that still enjoy their heritage and enjoy their tradition. Um, and once you go out of the big cities, you'll see a lot of people that live the way they live by choice, um, yet still very welcoming to every foreigner that's there. Right. And, you know, I did a podcast some months ago because there was a piece in the Atlantic about Saudi Arabia where the writer was very judgmental towards those Saudis who live that way. And my point was, you know, who are you to judge if a Saudi wants to be modernized and the kingdom is opening up? Good for them that they could take advantage of them. But there are plenty of people who, for whether it's religious reasons, cultural reasons, heritage reasons, want to live a certain way. And who are we to judge that if, you know, good for them that they want to do it and good for them that they're open to welcoming people like you and I. Uh, I think it's terrific. And it's a balance that Saudi Arabia is trying to figure out. But so far from everything I've seen, I think they're doing a good job at it. Saudi, Saudi's uh, definitely on the right track. Uh, the, everything you see coming out of Saudi, whether it's the financials, whether it's the, the new developments, the construction, the projects, the new companies that are moving in. Apple's opening up their Middle Eastern headquarters in Riyadh, right, right outside the uh, uh, Riyadh uh, King Khalid Airport. Um, so there's, they're definitely doing something right if all these international corporations are moving in, the jobs. And if you speak to the young Saudis, and they're really the ones that really count, because at the end of the day, all of you and I go and visit, we come and go. And even if, if we decide to relocate there for a few years, we're not going to be Saudi. But when you speak to your young Saudi teenager on the street, they're proud of their royal family. They're proud of uh, the crown prince. They're, they're happy with the change, and they're happy with the tradition. They want both. And this is what they're happy with. So if Saudis are happy. We're there to support them. Exactly. So from Riyadh, what's the next stop? Riyadh, we had a long drive. We drove down to Jeddah. Um, so funny enough, uh, the, the source of the name Jeddah is, uh, is mother. Uh, and in Saudi tradition, uh, Eva, the wife of uh, Adam, uh, the uh, first woman, the mother of the world, was is buried in Jeddah, which is why where the name comes from. Um, Jeddah uh, has, uh, is completely different to Riyadh. So if Riyadh's a business center and it's a place where people go to, people are busy uh, running around. Jeddah's way more relaxed. It's always been a port city, always been way more exposed to Western uh, cultures. And, and one of the nice things that I like doing when I go to Jeddah is just to walk around the Corniche in the evenings and you see families uh, camped outside eating uh, different ice creams from the different ice cream stores and just sitting there talking, hanging out next to the beach. And it's a, just a, a fun experience or walking down the street and there's uh, hundreds of teenagers on there, um, whether, whether it's the different, uh, different bikes or different uh, two wheelers running through and racing up and down. It's a, a whole different vibe. And slightly outside of Jeddah is where they have the agricultural centers uh, that are feeding that whole region. Um, Jeddah today is, I think, about 30% of Jeddah's agriculture comes and is grown locally uh, within uh, a 20-minute drive of the city. From Jeddah, where did you go? Uh, so we, we from Jeddah, we went through Medina. We spent a few hours there, and then we drove down to El Ula. 
Uh, sorry, which was sorry to jump in. So is Medina like Mecca where non-Muslims are not allowed to enter or Medina you're able to enter? Medina's uh, okay for uh, non-Muslims to enter at the moment. It's only Mecca that's uh, not allowed. It was in the past they did not allow uh, non-Muslims to enter Mecca uh, to enter Medina, but now it's it's allowed. Uh, no, we we didn't uh, we didn't break the law uh, in Saudi at all. Uh, uh, there, we were actually there a couple of weeks after a reporter had run around uh, Medina and said, "Hey, look, I'm not Muslim, but I still snuck in." I'm, and we we tried to make a point of showing that we were able to create interesting content in Saudi Arabia without offending anyone or breaking the law. Um, and, you know, I'm I, 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 quite happy to uh, enjoy myself and not offend anyone and not go to places where I'm uh, legally not allowed to go, just like I wouldn't drive through a red light and film it and say, hey, look, I read through a red light and the police did give me a ticket. I'm not going to go to places that I should go <laughs> and uh, definitely not talk about it in public. Yeah, there's, a lot, um, there's a lot of noise about people who want to go and not respect the cultural norms, cultural laws, and it's a mistake. I mean, you're being welcomed into an area. Respect respect uh, the people there and do your thing. There's a lot to see. So I, I champion what your attitude was. You wouldn't go to New York and drive through a red light and film it and say, hey, look, the police didn't catch me. Right. Uh, why would you do it in, in Sa- why would you break the law in Saudi Arabia just because uh, they're, they're nicer than the American police? And if the American police would shoot you, the Saudis would probably just tell you don't do it again. But, you know, there's still no reason to break the law. coffee and dates and warn you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. So that's, uh, but then we, we yeah, that was, so next up was Alula. Uh, on the way down, we stopped in a city called Yanbu. Um, Yandu is, first of all, it's, it's a nice diving site on the Red Sea. Where we did, we did quick dive there, but it's also, uh, the city where Lawrence Arabia lived. So, so we visited his house, uh, the whole area there being that it's summer, I guess they used the fact that there were less tourists and less people visiting to renovate. So unfortunately we didn't get to go in and do the whole, uh, sightseeing thing that we wanted to. We'll have to come back. Um, then we, uh, we visited the palace of Tabuk which is uh, where, according to uh, history and tradition, the uh, prophet ransomed his uh, local wars uh, and hid and eventually conquered the uh, the fort of Tabuk, um, continued down. We spent the night in Alula visiting some local agricultural farms. Uh, we've introduced some uh, new technologies that are currently being tested and hopefully to be implemented in the near future in that region. And the next morning we did uh, the touristy things uh, that included visiting uh, the equivalent of Petra down in, in Alula. Uh, I, my opinion, much nicer, definitely less graffiti and uh, a lot bigger. Uh, again, talking about change in Saudi, we had a, a local female tour guide that took us around, uh, spoke perfect English. And I, I asked her about, you know, what do you, what do you feel about that being a tour guide for a bunch of, uh, uh, Western men? And they go, well, they're usually quite polite and nice. Uh, uh, I couldn't do this three, four years ago, but this has always been my dream to show my history and show where, where I come from. Um, and this was her opportunity to do it. Yeah, I was amazed um, by Alola. I thought, and I've been to Petra. I loved Petra too. I didn't notice the graffiti when I was there. Maybe something has changed, but I thought Alola was quite spectacular. Right. Um, yeah, it's 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 an amazing place. And, and the nice thing is, is that it's it's just so, it's, it's because the whole concept of tourism uh, and tourist visas in Saudi is relatively new. Uh, it's it's just not uh, not as open and not as known, and you could really enjoy yourself without uh, without going into to too many tourists, without bumping into too many tourists. Which is funny that you go on a, you you do go on a vacation thing and say, hey, I don't want to meet anyone I know. That would probably be a good place to start. 
Um, yeah. We did, where else we drove from there, we drove down to Neom. Um, obviously, Neom is, is more of a construction site, uh, but uh, we did get a quick tour in terms of the amazing. And one of the, the funny things that I keep on hearing from different people, oh, Neom is never going to happen. Uh, the line is a fantasy, et cetera. And you know, I'm, I'm not a judge of whether or not it will or, or it won't. But the amazing thing is when you meet all the people that are sitting there and you see what they're working on and you see the new innovation and development. So even if it never happens, the amount of innovation related to sustainability and related to desert living that's being developed and being enhanced for that region is going to impact the whole world's sustainability and the great things that are happening. So hopefully it does work, and, hope, and I'm sure with the amount of money and with the amount of management that put, that's being put into it, it's definitely going to get to somewhere quite achievable. Um, and what is it that they say? If you don't dream, you never achieve? Exactly. Look, I, from um, everything I've seen, they seem to be pulling off these giga projects. They seem to be built, being making tremendous progress. I've been to Niam more than once, and it really is a very unique place, so I also hope uh, they manage to pull it off. By all indications, they seem to be doing it. Where did you go from there? Yep. So we went to a little place that actually, uh, for if Jewish history would be interesting. It, 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 in Jewish history, it's called Midian. And uh, the famous story where Moses ran away from Pharaoh and he uh, met the girls hanging out by the well, pushed the, pushed the rock over, saved them from the other enemies, and then ended up marrying Jethro's daughter. So that's uh, located in Saudi Arabia between Neom and Aqaba. Uh, it's fenced off. If you are going to go, make sure to arrive before 6 o'clock because they do throw everyone out at 6 p.m. and it took us a while to find it and we, we almost missed it uh, but there's the original cave they say Jethro lived in they have the well they have the whole uh, excavations there that, that they've redesigned uh, and then from there we drove overnight into, uh, into I'm sorry, Akaba, sorry to interrupt by the way I, it's, I learned something new all the time about these countries I never knew that that was there now I'm going to add that to my bucket list that's I'll, I'll send cool. you a link with, I'll send you a link for the location and, this, and the sign and everything but yeah um, yeah, so then we, we drove into Aqaba, spent the night, uh, uh, night in Aqaba, and then crossed over to Israel uh, on Friday morning to spend Shabbat in Jerusalem. Uh, spent a week in Israel, traveling across Israel, meeting with companies related to desert tech and sustainability, and then headed back uh, through Jordan. Uh, we spent time in, in Irbil, um, and we were going to spend time in Amman, but again, with the confusion of the border crossing, we ended up uh, uh, losing 24 hours and having to go back and forth, which is why I say don't try and go back through the Alibi King Hussein Bridge. It's not going to work. Um, <clears throat> but that was a misunderstanding on our side. Uh, the, the Jordanians were quite nice about deporting us back and telling us to use the other border. Um, and, uh, and then back into Saudi Arabia. Uh, we um, visited a whole bunch of different little places, little little towns and cities. One of the cool places, did you know there's a, there's a, a region between Riyadh and Damam called uh, Judah or Judea? Did not know that. Uh, there's a whole region called, yes, and inside, uh, there's it's a beautiful desert with a lot of different colors, uh, a lot of red, green, and blue sign, uh, sand. There's a, uh, an area there called the Devil's Tomb which is in the middle of the desert, middle of nowhere, these, these double rocks placed one on top of the other. Um, couldn't find much in terms of why, uh, what the history is, but it was quite fascinating to suddenly find out that in the middle of Saudi Arabia, there's an area called Judea, uh, and it's spelled J-U-D-A-H, so Judah. Mm -hmm. uh, we visited Damam and that whole area meeting with different companies uh, related to gas. We drove over to Bahrain, 
to have uh, lunch with the Israeli ambassador Eitan uh, in Bahrain. Uh, visited uh, Huda at the uh, Jewish Community Center there, and then uh, did an pulled an overnighter uh, to make it back for Shabbat to Dubai, and drove directly from Bahrain through Saudi Arabia. Uh, what was it? Ten hours directly back to Dubai. There's a huge bridge there that you have to cross over, right? From Bahrain to Saudi. The bridge, yeah, the bridge between Bahrain and Saudi uh, is again, as I said, you 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 pay the twenty six uh, uh, rials uh, on the way in, and then it's I think twelve uh, Bahraini uh, rials on the way out. Uh, that's really the the main requirement is you pay for. Uh, you pay the fee, uh, so you could almost pass with just passing your credit card through as long as your visas and everything are in place. Not a lot of people pay enough attention to uh, Bahrain. I actually think it's a really cool place. What was your impression of Bahrain? Uh, uh, Bahrain's it's small. Uh, it's sweet. There's a lot. Of, if you could cover the tourist stuff in Bahrain in, in about two or three days, um, there are some interesting, really cool places if you go out of Manama. Uh, there's the Tree of Life that they say was the original Tree of Life uh, of the Garden of, uh, of uh, Eden that uh, Adam uh, did not eat from. Uh, there's uh, there's the whole museum of uh, oil and gas. You can actually visit a plant and see how they they take the oil and gas out. Um, I think uh, Bahrain is uh, financially could uh, was in the past the the financial center of the Gulf, uh, and then sort of I guess Dubai uh, took it over for a while. But because of its location in the future, this could be a, a great trade center for Israel. So everything imported from Asia could come to Bahrain and go on a truck straight through Saudi Arabia, uh, Jordan into Israel, something that would increase uh, jobs in Saudi Arabia and uh, tolls, fees for all the transfer fees. Think of every car coming in, ma- manufactured in Asia, coming in on a boat to Bahrain, put it, put it on a truck or on a train directly to Tel Aviv, the amount of uh, fees the Saudi and Jordanian government can make on the way, the amount of employment because of the truck drivers until these trucks become autonomous uh, that could uh, feed uh, food. It would help uh, Israel fight the cost of uh, the cost of goods because it would decrease the shipping costs and it would uh, benefit the whole region if uh, a route like that was open. I, I really hope that uh, that day will come where this, these routes will be open. It doesn't even require peace between governments. Because at the end of the day, financial transactions happen way before governments have peace. For sure. And I, I'm a firm believer. I think it will happen. It's a question of when. Um, Dubai, because I've actually gotten a lot of calls about tourism in the region. This week alone, I got about five friends who are going to Dubai in the coming two months. So they all want to know, you know, what are the top things to see in Dubai? So what are the top things for tourists to see in Dubai? So, I, you know, most people will probably give you uh, their own list. My preferred places in Dubai, I like walking around uh, what's known as the gold, gold souk and then taking a little arba, which is those little boats that you sit on. They cost one dirham and they take you across the canal and then go for a walk through the old city. Uh, usually do it in the afternoon. So about four o'clock, you get there before sunset. It's not that hot. The museums are still open and you get to see the whole history of Dubai. That would be my number one place to go to and visit. Uh, downtown Dubai is a must because everyone who comes to Dubai has to have a picture next to the Burj Khalifa. Um, funny thing uh, about the Burj Khalifa, people talk about the Burj Khalifa and say, oh, this is the modern um, tower of Bevel. But what they don't know is that uh, there's actually a mosque on the, top of, on the top of the Burj Khalifa. 
symbolizing that God is above everything. And this was not a tower built to fight God, but rather to show how powerful God is in the world. Um, so that would be my so second place. So a kosher place. restaurant in the, in the lobby level or lower lobby level, a mosque at the top. Now that's almost an Abraham yep. Accords building in and of itself. True. And then, you know, to think that the kosher restaurant in that building has been there for five years now. So the, the kosher restaurant uh, has been there for way before before the Abrahamic Accords. Indeed. People, um, don't, people don't realize that. That's very important to point out. Yeah. Uh, it used to be a little little falafel place in the back of the bar. And slowly as uh, Jewish tourism grew, the restaurant did too. Um, and the food's improved. So that's good news too. Um, uh, yes, the fountains, once you're walking around downtown. Uh, Dubai, as its name, you have to visit a mall because otherwise you won't be fulfilling the name Dubai. Um, so Dubai Mall is the biggest mall in the world. If you're looking for cheaper uh, shopping, there's the, there are two outlets in Dubai, in Dubai that you can visit. Uh, you'd have to take a taxi to get to both of them or rent a car because they're about 20, 20 minutes, 35 minutes outside the city. Um, I think... Uh, you. One of the other places I like to visit is the new St. Regis on the Palm. Uh, they have uh, a beautiful view from the top floor, a uh, swimming pool there that overlooks the entire Palm. It's just a beautiful uh, scenery. Uh, there's a nice bar in the um, JW Marriott Marquis on the 72nd floor called the Vault. Uh, the best time, in my opinion, to go is at sunset. You have a panoramic view of both downtown Dubai and it's half of the Burj Khalifa, so you pretty much get to see everything downtown. And if you look the other way, you can see the islands of the world um, and the palm, and uh, that, so that would be a nice place. Some people like going to the Burj Al Arab. They have a tour of the, which was the first seven-star hotel to be built in the world. Uh, I think for 80 or 150 dirhams, you can get a uh, tour guide to take you through the hotel, visit the presidential suites and all these other places that uh, some people really enjoy. Um, and what, where else would I go? I, I like uh, going for runs at 4 a.m. on Kite Beach. There's a 10-kilometer stretch that you can run on rubber so you don't hit your knees. Well, early riser you are, I see. <laughs> I am. Um, Second to last question, because I don't want to leave Abu Dhabi out. Abu Dhabi itself is becoming quite a destination beyond just business. Do you do any touring mm -hmm. in Abu Dhabi? I don't know if the, you, it didn't sound like you stopped there because it's so close to Dubai. But what are some of your favorite things to do in Abu Dhabi? So again, the, the mosque, the, Grand, the Sheikh Zayed Mosque in Abu Dhabi, uh, especially at uh, sunset. Uh, my oldest son is a photographer, and we spent three hours across the street from the mosque. There's this big puddle that they've built in order to enhance the uh, reflection of the mosque. Uh, so if anyone's into photography, stand on the other side of the road with bright cameras during sunset. Every 10 minutes, the color of the building changes, the reflection of the lights change, uh, day, sunset, and then nighttime. Uh, you have to visit the uh, Palace uh, Hotel and, and and have a cappuccino with little uh, gold uh, leaves in your, in, your, uh, in your coffee. That's sort of a must to feel Abu Dhabi. Um, there's, uh, the, uh, the, the Louvre hotel for those that are interested and in hopefully soon the, uh, the new, uh, synagogue mosque church that is going to open up the Abrahamic uh, center. Uh, they're actually, I think at the same week, they're also opening up the first Jewish school in, uh, in Abu Dhabi, but I don't think that'll be open for the public to come and visit. Um, mm -hmm. there's the, man yeah, there's the mangrove, um, fields and you can actually rent uh, a boat and, and drive through the mangroves, which is quite a nice, uh, about a two-hour beautiful uh, experience out in the water. 
uh, between Yas and uh, Sadiat Islands. Uh, quite an interesting experience of uh, the whole concept, how why they're growing these mangroves and what it does to reduce temperatures. Um, quite an, um, an educated educational experience. Uh, just make sure to take a hat and some some sunscreen because there's no shade on the boat. Um, and some water. And I get and water. Well, they they do serve water on the boat, but they don't <laughs> bring sun, sunscreen or a hat. Uh, and uh, yeah, but that's that that uh, pretty much. I, I I guess there are probably people who could give you more information about Abu Dhabi, but those are my uh, my my points, my main points in Abu Dhabi. Uh, Ras Al Khaimah would be an interesting place to go if you were going the other way. Uh, there's Jabal Jish, which is the tallest building in the UAE. It actually snows there once or twice a year. Um, and there's uh, and then in, in Sharjah, there's a whole bunch of different hike, hiking uh, centers, green, different uh, water fountains in the desert, which are quite surprising. Uh, usually on now that uh, as of January 1st, uh, the UAE no longer works on Sundays. We've been using Sunday as a hiking day to go around and, and to explore these different uh, sites and uh, hiking centers. It's like the Israelis who go on Tulim, so it's perfect. Yep, it is. It is, and then if you want to dive, uh, Fujera has some very nice uh, diving uh, diving sites with beautiful fish. So, last question. It sounds like it's an adventurous trip, but not too taxing. What type of person would you recommend? to take this kind of road trip? Is it for everybody, only for people who are crazy like you? I'm kidding, of course, but you know, when people heard about no, it, no, I'm sure they were surprised, right? Who would you recommend this kind yeah. of trip to? Um, so it, it's definitely not a road trip as in the sense of you don't need a four-wheel drive to, to do it. You, you do need a comfortable car. Uh, it would need to be someone that has the patience to spend lots of hours uh, on, on the road. Uh, even if you want to break it up more, some of the rides are just impossible. When you when you turn on your GPS, uh, leaving Riyadh, and you put your destination Jeddah, it does give you a 922-kilometer distance, and there's not much to stop at on the way, uh, even if you wanted to break it up. Uh, so you, you do need that patience. Um, and you need to be someone that's, that's going to be open to new experiences and meeting uh, new people from different cultures. Well, kudos to you for doing it. Glad you had a great time. Thanks for sharing your tips and uh, your experiences with us on The Diplomat. And we'll ha hope to have you again uh, for your next road trip. Maybe you're planning one already that I'm not aware of. We are. We're planning one next year from Dubai to Morocco, uh, working on the logistics uh, through Israel. So uh, we're working on the, on the legal and visa logistics because there's few African countries that uh, driving through uh, is not, uh, I guess it's not a common thing, so they don't have the proper processes in place, but hopefully we'll get it all worked out. Awesome. Well, we'll have you back hopefully before that, but definitely to, to share your experiences about what sounds like another amazing trip. Thanks again for coming on The Diplomat. With pleasure. Look forward to it. Take care. I hope you found Bruce's itinerary interesting, what he had to say about this most unusual road trip. Uh, the next one also sounds very cool. I hope you found his tourism tips interesting, uh, his logistical challenges and organization, and uh, somebody who has pretty much lived and breathed the Middle East for many years now, I found it particularly interesting and even learned some things myself. If you want to learn more, of course, don't forget to pick up my book, In the Path of Abraham. It's gotten some great, great press coverage. It's a great book for you to learn more about the Middle East about Israel, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and more. It's available on Amazon or wherever you get your books, In the Path of Abraham by Jason Greenblatt. 
I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek.